Okay, pokey. Pashas Vayetse. The subject of tonight's shia is Yaakov's personal ladder. Right? Yaakov in his personal ladder. Okay. So I'm going to begin with the following that took place. One time there was a mashgiach in Yerushalayim. Mashgiach for a yeshiva someone who takes care of the needs, the spiritual needs of the boys. And he teaches them, explains to them, guides them, etc. And he's still in Yerushalayim and a yeshiva called uh, Torah Or. And his name is Rav Noach Olawik. Rav Noach Olawik said a fascinating thing. He said, you know that the way life works is that you've got ups and you've got downs. Right? That is the way that HaKadosh Baruch designed it in this world. There are times where things go very well. There are times where you seem to be at the bottom of the pot. And there are times where a little bit of this and a little bit of that. That is how HaKadosh Baruch designed it in this world. That's how he, that's how he made it. And... The downs are stimuli in order to serve HaKadosh Baruch And the ups are the kisses from Hashem in order to lift you and inspire you. Now, Yaakov Avinu is a very good example of this in practice. When the Torah records the narratives of the lives of our Avos Nimals, it's there because we often are going to encounter the same challenges. And we learn from them how to be successful. And Yaakov Avinu is called the Bechira Avos. He's called the greatest of all the forefathers that we have. Which is fascinating. Because Yaakov Avinu does not get the world acknowledgement that Avram Avinu got. He doesn't get the incredible uh, wealth in Eretz Yisrael that Yitzchak got. And he has to battle first-hand with some very, very difficult personalities. But the truth is that, that the great designer, the great artist, Hashem, designed it in this way that he should actually do this. And the truth is, is as we look into Yaakov Avinu's life, we're going to see a tremendous greatness of spirit and personal determination. So let's look at Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu began his life as a twin of Esau. Now, what that meant was that Esau was Mr. Capable. Esau was Mr. Brilliant. Esau was Mr. Out in the World. Yaakov Avinu was Ishtam Yoshev Holim. He was an expert in all these things, but he sat and learned Torah. He didn't have those expertise. He wasn't as out there and had the charisma of Esau. He didn't have that. And can you imagine growing up, and your father Yitzchak, the god Lador, thinks the world of Esau, and you, Baruch Hashem, you're doing good, but you know, learn a little bit more, a little bit more, you know, you've got to know where your place is. Can you imagine that must have been extremely difficult? Because Yaakov understood that he was a tzaddik and Esau was a Rosh. Yaakov saw that he needed to get hold of the spiritual rights that Asaf spurned. So he needed to do that, which ran the risk of antagonizing Asaf, which he ends up doing. First by taking the birthright, 
and later by taking the blessings. But he had no idea what it would actually cause. What it caused him to do is at the age of 63, having learned by his father for so many years, and now it has become clear that Asaph's the Rosha and he's the Tzaddik, he's going to go into exile. Which is very hard because a person who's a Torah personality wants nothing more than to live in Eretz Israel. That's the best place. There's nothing better to serve Hashem than to live in the land of Israel. One of the Gedoli Israel came from the airport to Israel. And he was in the car going from the airport to the place he was staying. And he kept on saying, wow, look how magnificent this land is. So someone said, but you haven't even looked out the window. He says, no, you don't understand. I'm learning Torah now and I can feel the difference. So for Yaakov Avinu living in Eretz Yisrael was an absolute pleasure. And now because of his brother's wickedness who wants to kill him, he has to leave. And where does he have to end up going? He has to go to a far-off land where the people are even more wicked than the, than the Goyim who live in Eretz Canaan, in Eretz Israel. And he goes with provisions. But he decides the following amazing thing. I'm leaving Eretz Israel. I have to prepare for it. And he goes to learn in the Yeshiva of Shem Now you're not talking about a 15-year-old boy, a 20-year-old. You're talking about a 63-year-old man. And he understands it's a new stage in my life. I need to go learn. And he learns in the yeshiva for 14 years. Now rabbis tell us that at the end of that time, he goes via Yerushalayim before he leaves. And as he goes to Yerushalayim, Hashem causes the sun to set and he sleeps. And our rabbis tell us this was the first time he slept lying down in 14 years. Because he would have every minute he could to learn the yeshiva shem va'ev. So what did he do? He used to put his head down. Why did he need such preparation? Because as great as he was, he knew he needed to be even greater to go to that stage, to be able to deal with the nisyonis, the challenges that awaited him. And he learns for 14 years. And he goes out and what does he see? Esau's son, Eliphaz, come to him. Eliphaz says to him, Yaakov, Yaakov, I have to kill you, my father says. But Eliphaz was a little bit like what you call the mafiosa today. There's certain principles they live by. One of they live by is, you know, honoring your parents. The other principle was he was close to his grandfather Yitzhak. So he didn't want to kill Yaakov. So Yaakov said to him, listen, you'll fulfill the myths of Kibra aim. Do the following. Take all that I have. And if you, I'm so poor, it's as if I'm dead. And your father will get all the riches. So Eliphaz says, uncle, deal. And takes everything he has. And our poor Yaakov has had to go into exile. And what happens? He loses everything. He loses everything he has. And now he's got to go with his stick all the way. But he was still in a state of joy. And Hashem comes and reveals to him that Yaakov, I want to show you something beautiful. This is something that people don't see and don't feel, but it's a reality. Yaakov Avinu has a dream. In the dream he sees angels going up and angels coming down. Hashem says, you see the angels going up. These are the angels who have been protecting you. And you see these coming down. These are going to protect you. 
Yeah, there's a, there's a beautiful story in Tanakh of Elisha, one of the great prophets. And the enemy troops of one of the nations wanted to kill him. And they brought thousands of troops and he was totally unafraid. But his assistant was afraid. And Elisha davened and Hashem revealed to his assistant what was actually there. There were so many angels protecting him. And he smiled. He could see over there. There was nothing to be afraid of. Can you imagine the confidence that Yaakov got? Seeing all the angels. And you must know that the angels accompany us as well. The angels accompany us when we go in the street. The angels accompany us wherever we are. There are malachim all the time that Hashem sends in order to protect us. Can you imagine such a thing? And you've got to know that HaKadosh Baruch was doing that for us. Yaakov saw this and realized, ah. And then he leaves. And he goes all the way out to Chutzlaret. And where does he have to go? To Aram Narayim. The home of the Arameans. Now to give you some idea who these people were like. Hashem had a certain cheshben, a certain accounting. Where should the Jewish people go down into exile and then come out with miracles and wonders? One of the options was that place, Aram Narayim. But Hashem rejected because they would be too cruel. Now you must understand this. The Egyptians burned our children, drowned our children. Pharaoh bathed in the blood. These guys would have been worse. Can you imagine such a thing? <laughs> Can you imagine? These guys would have been worse? Yes. And Yaakov has to go there. And Yaakov arrives there with his stick. That's all he has. That's all he has. And he goes there with his stick. And he goes in his heart with a burning determination. A determination to serve Hashem no matter what. And he meets Lovren. He meets his uncle. And how does he meet his uncle? So his uncle sees him and remembers, oh, when Eliezer, the slave of Rom, came to my father's house, he came with laden with gifts. I'm sure Yaakov's got the gifts. And he goes up to Yaakov and he doesn't see the gifts. So he gives him a hug and gives him a little feel as if he's a criminal. And he gives him a kiss to stick his tongue into his mouth to see if there's anything there. But there's nothing. So Lovin takes him into the home and puts him to work. And he feeds him the scraps. And then he says, you know what, Yaakov? You're my flesh and blood. i got to pay you. What do you want as a wage? Can you imagine? This is Yaakov Avinu who has been serving Hashem in the tents of Torah. And now he faces a challenge over here of a rogue, a rosha, who maltreats him. And continues to maltreat him for 20 years. Now, why did he have to go to Lovin's home? One very important reason. Because Yaakov's zivugim, his wives, Hashem put in that heart. Now let me ask you a simple question. Yaakov is such a tzaddik. Surely Hashem, you could have just let him to learn in peace and quiet. Why did he have to grow up with an Esau as a twin? Why did he have to go and live in Lovin's home? Why? The answer is no pain, no gain. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu knew that every person in this world, and how much more so Yaakov, is as we say on Yom Kippur night, we like the clay in the hands of the potter. And it's got to be molded. 
And Yaakov Avinu needed to be molded. So yes, he was going to learn for so many years. 77 years in total. And now he's going to be working for love. And he's going to be building a family in those incredibly difficult circumstances. Surrounded by a city of Rishoyim. In a home of Erosha. How are you going to manage? How are you going to do it? And don't you long for home? Hashem says this is where you need to be. And what does Yaakov now do? Instead of sitting in the base Medrash, he works by day. And he takes care of the sheep. And he takes responsibility for anything that goes wrong. If a sheep dies, he cares for the sheep. And what does he do? Something quite amazing. He spends time in the fields, composing Tehillim, composing Psalms. And he spends time in the fields doing something unbelievable, talking to HaKadosh Baruch And can you imagine how he felt when he came back and Lavan said, great, here's your wage. And Yaakov says, one minute, you told me it was this. No, no, I didn't mean it. And every time he changes his wage, he changes his salary 100 times. Can you imagine the frustration, the pain, the difficulty? But Yaakov Avinu rises to the challenge. It's a ladder of greatness, but it continues on. After 20 years, he now has two years of travel. He's long awaited time to get back to Eretz Yisrael. And what happens when he gets back to Eretz Yisrael? He hears news. His mother dies, Rivka. His wife, Rachel, dies on the way. Can you imagine the pain? He has to meet up with Asaph again, and Asaph tries to kill him. He gets back to Eretz Yisrael, and he has nine years of bliss in Eretz Yisrael, until his son Yosef gets sold into slavery, and he doesn't see him for 22 years. Then after that time, he goes down to Egypt, where he has to live in the pit of Egypt, which is the center of immorality of the world for 17 years. Now, what does Yaakov Avinu become? Ish Emes, he becomes a man of truth. He becomes the foundation stone of where we come from. And we also inherit his DNA. Like Reb Chaim of says in Perka Avas, we say that from Noach to Avram and from Avram Avinu down. Why is it from Avram Avinu? Because we as heirs to Avram Avinu and all the Avos and the Imals, we inherit their qualities and what they achieved. So whatever Yaakov achieved, we actually inherit. So now look at this ladder. He went 63 years having to deal with Asaph, 14 years in shame forever, 20 years dealing with Lavan, and then building a family and educating his children. Two years of travel, and he suffers so much on those travels. Aside from the deaths, his daughter Dina was abducted, violated. Comes back for nine years in Eretz Israel. He also later loses Leah as well. Then he goes, and his son disappears for 22 years. Comes down to Mitzrayim. Only one wife eventually was left with him, Bilal, who outlived all the rest. And he has 17 years in Egypt. And his job there is to try and instill an identity in the Jewish people, not to get swallowed up. Now, Yaakov Avinu also symbolizes for us the journey of the Jewish people as a nation. 
We got to Eretz Yisrael. We were exiled. Where was he exiled? To Aram Naraim in the area of Bovel, in the area of Iraq. That was the destruction of the first temple. He then goes back. He then has to leave again. And he dies in Mitzrayim. And he gets brought back to Eretz Yisrael to be buried. Says the Ramban, him being brought back to be buried is symbolic of Mashiach. It's symbolic of the eventual return to Eretz Israel. That even after death, so to speak, even after we've been through so much, we will eventually come back. And we will eventually be reunited with our Kodesh Baruch in the land of Israel. Yaakov Avinu teaches us life is not meant to be easy. It's meant to be up and down. It's meant to be a stimulus for serving Hashem. You need to learn tenacity and fight. You need to learn to get on with each other. That the family of Yaakov went through strife and eventually the family of Yaakov were reunited. You know, Yaakov Avinu is the word Yaakov, which comes from the word heal. It also means to overtake. Yaakov Avinu is called after the heel, says the Kliyakov, because he valued even the mitzvahs that... A lot of people don't really pay attention to. And he's an overtaker because even though he started off so much less charismatic and more and so less able than Asaph, but nevertheless, he overtook him. He became someone so great that his image is on the throne of glory. Right? Because by the throne of glory, there is the lion, which is the king of the wild animals. There's the eagle that's the king of the birds. There's the ox that is the king of the domestic animals. There's man who's king over them, and Akarish Baruch, of course, is king over everything. And Yaakov Avinu's face is over there. Yaakov Avinu also has an opportunity after death. When he gets buried in the Maris Machpelah in the, in the cave of the patriarchs, and Asaph's head rolls down after he gets killed, he smiles, he wakes up, and he smiles. That Akarish Baruch has killed Esau over here. And only his head is going to remain in the cave of the patriarchs. Yaakov Avinu, I would say, should be our goal and our striving. To be like him. To learn how to rise above everything. You know, this week, there was a fascinating uh, interview with uh, a certain non-Jew, famous non-Jew, who's got 4 million followers. I forgot his name, but he's got about 4 million followers. And he traveled to Israel to support the Jewish people in Israel. And he made a wondrous statement. He said to the Jewish people, he said, and I want to tell you something. He said, Hamas united you after all your infighting. Now's the time to unite under Hashem. <laughs> you know, I love it when HaKadosh Baruch Hu opens the mouth of the Goyim to teach us something important. Now is the time to unite under Hashem. And when we do that, we can conquer anything. We can manage anything. We can become more successful than anyone in the world because we have the backing of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We've got the backing of our Master in Heaven. And with that, there's nothing to be afraid of at all. 
Yaakov Avinu went with us. In fact, when Yaakov Avinu got back to Eretz Israel, Hashem showed him hundreds of thousands of angels to show him that this is what you're coming towards. This is what you've achieved. Yaakov Avinu knew the Torah so much and he instilled it in his children that Yosef remembered 22 years later the piece of Torah that Yaakov was teaching him just before they were separated. Yaakov Avinu didn't move one inch from keeping the will of Hashem, whether it was Shabbos, whether it was Kashos, Limerah Torah, Tvila, and he established a Tvila called Mariv. He established a night prayer, which was so fitting for Yaakov because Yaakov's life was so much with the ups and downs. We have to hear Yaakov's message. Vayetzei Yaakov Mibershav. He left a place. Vayelecharon, he went to that place. He took all that he did from the one place and he went to another. Just want to share with you an experience I had uh, today. You know, because it's very fitting that uh, I talk about this. I had the uh, mispleasure today of having to go to home affairs. So we want to get in the home affairs, we want to get the, you know, the passports up to date. And uh, I need to get an unabridged birth certificate for one of my kids. And a name change for another kid because they misspelt it, which has happened a few times before. And I always think to myself when I go to an office like this, HaKadosh Baruch wants to teach me something. So I get there, of course, and they say, no, passports is only by... Um, appointment now. Okay, fine. I said, can I do the birth certificates? Yes. If you got your ID, yes, that's all you need. Cool. So, I get and I sit and I fill out all the forms. And now I get to the front. And the woman tells me, go to counter 17. Fine. Go to counter 17. Already no one is there. And then I see someone come sit down. I must tell you, this was quite amazing. person who came sat down had such a feeling of importance to them. They sit down, and without saying anything, I just get this. Mm-mm. She looks at the papers, and she says, where's mommy's ID? Where's the birth certificate? Where's the marriage certificate? So I realized that when you're dealing with people who want to feel important, you don't shout at them, you won't achieve anything. So I said, I'm really sorry. I was told that this is all you need. Who told you that? In brackets. I never said that. I said, look, when I walked in, there was the person over there. So, she says, "Mm, mm, mm," goes to another superior and they start talking and haggling and this thing. And what did I do? I humbled myself. I put my head on the desk and I said to them, oh, really so sorry and then what happened after a whole back and forth where they felt the importance she says look get your wife to email you all the stuff and go and print it where's the printing place next door so i go and do that come back and i give it to them she looks at the copies Mm-mm-mm. too dark not clear right where's the original picture So now she takes my phone and she says, I want to crop the picture, right? I want to uh, make it bigger, clearer. 
And she probably spent, I kid you not, on and off for about 45 minutes, going back and forth on the phone and printing it through her office, which she refused to do before, and reprinting it again and again. Then she turns to me and says to me, you can go. I'm like, what do you mean? I've got the stuff. You're in a rush, aren't you? I'm like, no, I'm happy to wait. Okay, wait. I've still got lots to do. Fine. So she continues on and on and on and on. And eventually after she says, okay, this I've done for you. This you have to wait a number of months for. And I said, obviously the people I have to wait for are not as efficient as you. And you could see the importance, but she had to hide it. So she was like, hmm. And then I went. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that Akadosh Baruch sends us like this. That you go through hours and hours of time and you deal with small people who want to feel important because Akadosh Baruch is teaching us humility. That's what he's doing. Yaakov Avinu had to deal with not just small people. He had to deal with evil people, charlatans. Yaakov Avinu had to deal with people that were savage and so much against everything HaKadosh Baruch stood for. And he stayed Yaakov Avinu. And we don't find that he, you know, tried to shmuchel them or tried to steal from them or became like them. He retained himself. And only once do we find that Yaakov Avinu stood tall and spoke out. And that was one time with Lovin. We love and chased him and said to him, who do you think you are running away like this? You're just a trickster. You're just an idol worshiper. You stole my idols. So then he came against them saying that you're just an idol worshiper like everyone else. Then he had to stand forth. But when it came to his own midos, when it came to his own personal dignity and how people feel about him, he knew himself. He didn't have to prove anything to anyone. And because of that, we are the generous benefactors of his unbelievable greatness. Yaakov Avinu would have handled it much better than me. I still was irritated inside. I still was upset inside. Yaakov Avinu would have been like water for ducks back. Because should bless us to learn from Yaakov Avinu's growth, the ladder of his life, and realize that we all have ladders. We've all got to climb something. And the more that we realize that we have the ability and take those challenges and chaperai the growth that we can achieve, the happier, the more content, the more satisfied, and the more servants of God we will become. And as I always finish at this time, may HaKadosh Baruch Hu bless us with peace, especially for the, in the land of Israel, for our brothers and sisters and around the world. Okay, have a beautiful night. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Sherry. Atzlocha for tomorrow.